Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hey, everyone. Todd, are you feeling any wrath today? Um, I mean, more than usual. Is there anybody out there who is tasking you? Does anybody <laughs> task you? Uh, no, no one in particular. Certainly not as much as... Um... As the uh, titular character seems to be in this in this movie, um, a- absolutely not. Well, if for those who don't look at what the episode is titled, you know, and haven't figured right. it out already, today we are doing Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Yep, um, 1982, generally considered to be the best of the Star Trek movies, for sure. Uh, a lot of people like. The Voyage Home, Part 4. A lot of people like um, The Undiscovered Country, Part Solid 3. movie, yeah. Which was also directed by Nicholas Meyer, who directed <laughs> this movie. I, I, I forget... I forget what we were watching. I swear it might have been Halloween 6. When um, we saw the trailer for Star Trek Undiscovered Country, and I just remember like someone chuckling about how, oh man, they're making another one of these. And like we were literally in the audience for Halloween 6. <laughs> I don't know why I've always remembered that, but <laughs> even then I understood the, the irony of that. I don't know if that tracks. Because... It was something similar though. It was something because we would have seen it. So it would have been something like equally as dumb. I just don't yeah. remember what it was, but I feel like it was Halloween 6 or something like that. Just because I don't believe Halloween, I believe Halloween Six came out after uh, Undiscovered Country. Well, it was it. It, it I believe it was during that summer or just before it, where we went to see so many uh, movies, and that was somewhere in like the mid to late nineties. But it doesn't matter. Um, no. It doesn't matter. Now, I know we said you know we, we wouldn't likely ever get into Star Wars films because we wouldn't we we couldn't really have anything to add. And if you're wondering, like, this Star Trek stuff, like, what's the difference? Honestly, there really isn't. Uh, but this is a good movie. And by the end of this episode, you'll be able to say to yourself, yeah, they didn't have anything to add. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing. Like, the Star Trek franchise is the only franchise I can think of that has more than 10 movies. Mm-hmm. And I've seen every single one in the theater. That is impressive because I don't think. Well, actually, no saw. Well, actually, no, that's not true. Well, I haven't seen every single one of the saw movies in, in the theater, but I've seen an awful lot of them. Um, no, I'm not sure of a franchise where I've seen every single one. So that is pretty impressive. I haven't even seen all the Star Wars in a the theater. I never saw. What was it? Episode three, Revenge of the Sith. I never saw it in a the theater. But. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about the motion picture a little bit. Sure, the like the Phantom Menace of the series, I guess. And well, that's not fair. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just I'm just trolling for the sake of it. But um, <laughs> it was probably you know that came out in '79. But we probably well, you weren't there. Dad uh, took me and my best friend Jason Baruby. Yeah, I know. We I saw this sleepover. in the theater. I remember it. We were having a sleepover, and he took us to see Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Which, of course, we were kind of bored by, but we still sure. enjoyed because it was, you know, it was it was Star Trek on the big screen. And we only knew Star Trek from, you know, the reruns on 
Saturday and Sunday afternoons. Okay, so you had you had already been watching Star Trek. Yes, it wasn't. So, I mean, we liked it because it was the closest we could come to seeing Star Wars on TV. I mean, right, because Star Galactica and Buck Rogers was out there too. Right, because I, I think we mentioned before that essentially, like, uh, or at least for me anyway, Star Wars was probably my first like true experience with the entire genre of sci-fi so to me as a kid like anything that was sci-fi was star wars because it wasn't so super common as it is now but it it can't be understated the anticipation that was around star trek the motion oh for sure because when the series was canceled in 69 it still had a huge and dedicated fan base Mm -hmm. so here it was 10 years later they were finally getting to see these characters again and I remember the first time, or I think it might have even been the first couple of times I saw the motion picture when it came to HBO, I, I still would tune it in, knowing I was kind of bored by the movie, but still wanting to watch it. Well, you get spaceships and you get space stuff. Um, so I, I hear you. Like, I'll, I'll watch, sometimes I'll watch a, you know, a, a sometime, I'll do that with some, you know, especially back then when you, when your choices were limited. Like, we have a million streaming services and tons of DVDs. And, uh, so I totally get it. Like, I would have done the same thing back in the day. Like, sometimes you record something just for the sake of recording it because it's got parts of it that you kind of like. I mean, probably The Wraith, you know. It'll certainly be the reason I watch The Wraith again. Right. But anyway. Just but- because parts of it are cool, you know. Since I wasn't really that knowledgeable about Star Trek, I actually thought the motion picture was an origin movie about them getting together for the first time. I thought that the, I thought the because, same as well. You know, again, I didn't really pay that much attention because my mind would tend to wander, wander because. Of the, but it's also like it, it can't be. A lot of people think the motion picture bombed. It did not. It did very well, but there were a few problems. One, they spent way too much money making it. And two, it's a dull movie. It's also visually a dull movie. Yeah. I honestly think that if they used the costumes and sets they used in Khan in the motion picture, it would be a lot easier to watch. It would feel more exciting. Yeah, yeah, Rathacon is definitely, you know, the, the colors really pop in this one, especially the uniforms, which I love. Um, no, I'm with you. Like, I don't remember the last time I watched, um, I can't remember the last time I, would, I even tried to watch motion picture, but it was quite dull. But I, I do remember people, I do remember it also being, you know, rather well liked by many, which tells me that it must, you know, it's got to be objectively a good film, um, a, a good enough film, apparently. Um, and it's the only, well, I guess actually from what you explained a little bit about five, cause it's been a long time since I've seen five too. Like maybe I kind of want to give them both a shot, but for different reasons. And that I think if I watched the motion picture again, I might like it more than, um, I thought. And in the case of five, I, I, maybe I'll hate it less, um, uh, and, and find it less boring than I remember it. Cause from what you said is that it's not as boring it is it's not good but it's not as boring as as it seems like i remember like i remember it being almost as boring as um motion picture seemed to me but again this is to like a 10 year old kid give or take eight maybe even younger five is a bad movie all around 
it's poorly directed. It's poorly, it's, it's just, it's so not Star Trek. And that's why actually the motion picture, the motion picture is much more the vision of Star Trek. It's, it's intelligent. It's, you know, it's about, it's one of the more cerebral episodes. Yes. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people, that's not what, Especially after Star Wars, that's not what people were wanting to see. Mm-hmm. You know, Although... Star Wars was this fast-paced spectacle, and the reason, well, one of the reasons they decided, because originally the motion picture was going to be a television series, because oh. Paramount was, long before they actually developed UPN, Paramount was going to bring a fourth network. And their flagship show was going to be called Star Trek Phase 2. Everybody but Leonard Nimoy signed signed (laughs) up to come aboard. As they stopped deciding, like, well, we're not going to launch a new network. But obviously there's something here. People wanting sci-fi movies will turn it into a movie. Okay. And there there was a new Vulcan character named Zahn who was going to be in the TV series to replace Spock. Sure. He's in the movie, but he's killed immediately in the transporter accident because <laughs> Leonard Nimoy did eventually sign on to be oh. in the motion picture and they didn't need the poor guy anymore. Well, I guess it would certainly have made a paycheck to the movie and perhaps the rest of the series they would have kept him, right? Um, yeah. Wow. But I mean, you know, I guess the series wasn't going to happen either way, but I wonder... I wonder how things would have worked differently for him in the movies. Like, because presumably they would have kept him, at least if he tested well. Right? Well, he, you think he would have been in Wrath of Khan, for example? Oh, probably. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. Like, I knew, I knew uh, Leonard Nimoy did, didn't want anything to do with it. Like, he didn't, he did not want to reprise Spock, but ultimately, obviously, did anyway. Right. But I didn't realize they had cast someone else. Now, the other thing about the motion picture is it, really hurt Star Trek merchandising because really gold key comics was producing a Star Trek comic in the 10 years since the series ended. Uh-huh. Mego toys was producing Star Trek action figures and toys and selling millions of dollars worth in the 10 years, like in that interim well, years. Yep. No, they, they started in the seventies. They'd only, okay. But, but but either way, before the motion picture. And these things were selling without any support because there was no... There was the, the animated series from the 70s, but mm-hmm. that only ran for two years. When the motion picture came along, Paramount went oh. to Mego and said, stop making the stuff from the original series. We're promoting the movie now. So Mego started preparing toys based on the movie. And... Oh, I don't know how whether Marvel outbid or Gold Key just gave up the license, but then Marvel picked up the comic book rights because they were having huge success with the Star Wars comic they were producing. Well, the Star Trek, Star Trek, Marvel Star Trek comic only ran eighteen issues, and the toy line for Mego did not do well either because. The movie just people weren't excited about the movie. Sure, so they wouldn't be excited about the merch for it. 
Yeah, kids didn't want to reenact the adventures <laughs> in the movie. They wanted yeah. to reinvent the, the the adventures of the TV series. Sure. Okay. Right on. So with all that being said, when they decided to go through with Star Trek 2, another movie, one, they slashed the budget. Two, they took Gene Roddenberry away from the project <laughs> and hired a new producer and a new director, Harve Bennett as the producer and Nicholas Meyer as the director. Two guys who had never seen a single episode of Star Trek. Interesting. Okay, so now, just to, uh, going back to 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 the uh, motion picture real quick. So that was entirely Gene Roddenberry's uh, Roddenberry's baby, then apparently. Not entirely, was... but he was really given a lot of clout and a lot to say. Right now, and he basically takes the blame for most of what's wrong, what what people don't like about the movie, because he wanted it to be cerebral right which again like and i don't necessarily like not really my thing which to be honest with you is why i haven't watched a ton of star trek the show star trek the show and any of the given versions have more than enough action and thrills and stuff and it's just one of those things i haven't gotten uh, i i just haven't got around to but i also know that it can be very dry at times which again isn't necessarily a problem so I always felt it was one of those things where it felt like, I guess, you know, the folks who really liked the more dry, cerebral Star Trek seemed to really like it. Is that is that true? Is that how it played out? Oh, yeah, definitely. There are there are fans. So it didn't exactly attract a new audience. That's ultimately the problem. Gotcha. Unlike, say, this movie, which totally did, at least for me. But it was also the first one I saw anyway. Well, that's why they took the direction. Basically did a 180. This is obviously a much more action-oriented, much more emotional, much more fast-paced film. Sure. And again, everybody knows this film, so we're not going to really have to break it down scene by scene. And, you know, people know. Ricardo Montalban returns as Khan, a... in I mean, obviously, the eugenics war of the 1990s did not happen. Right, so far but, as we know. You know, he was a a basically a super soldier who, you know, was ruler of Earth for a period, launched into space, and uh, uh, this is based on the original series episode Space Seed. Enterprise finds their spaceship, the Botany Bay. They're brought on board. They try to take over the Enterprise. They are, of course, defeated and exiled to set the Alpha 5, a pretty remote planet, and given a chance, well, go make your society down there. And now we have the Wrath of Khan, where he returns because, well, this this kind of raises some questions. Because when Kirk abandoned them there, did he not tell anybody? Because good point. When, when the Reliant, which finds Khan on what they think is set the Alpha Six, Captain Terrell of the Reliant doesn't seem to know anything about any of this. Yeah, and if Chekhov wasn't his first officer. They wouldn't well, have known anything <clears throat> about it. 
Well, also, like, Chekhov apparently completely forgot until he saw the Botany Bay thing. You know? Like, if we grew up, or, or you know, if we knew for a fact, like, someone was murdered next to the house that we had been to, like, we would recognize the address of the place, Nick. Right? <laughs> you know? Well, see, now, one of the big things about fans is because Khan recognizes Chekhov. Right. But Chekhov wasn't in that episode. Oh, he wasn't? He wasn't in the series. He wasn't a series member yet. Oh, I didn't know that. So a lot of fans will, you'll will like to point that out, that, oh, you know, there's no way he could remember it, Chekhov or res- recognize Chekhov. Okay, and since we've got to the point where, um, and as you point, and I don't think I noticed this in the, you know, hundreds of times I've, I've seen this movie, not obviously not hundreds, but in the, in the many times I've seen this movie, that um, it's the captain and the first mate, or, or the captain and the first officer alone, like number one and number two, alone going down to the planet. Well, they were supposedly going down to a completely barren planet just to check out to see whether there was an actual life form they were reading. Right, but still. <laughs> they don't... Nothing. It's just the number well, one and number what? two go it down. Supposed... But still. what? It was supposed to be an abandoned planet. Well, like you said, that didn't even bring down an away team. It was just, all right, we're, we're both going. I, just, I, I didn't no, pick it, up on that it, either. It's just funny. It is odd, but in... in I mean, the movie needs to happen, so... But it's, well, it's but funny. not only that, in Star Trek, you know, original series, Kirk and Spock were always exactly. the ones going on the away team. So it's it almost seems like yeah. standard procedure for Starfleet. Right. right. It's a strange one, but yeah. But a lot of people have, you know, as far as the whole checkoff thing, it's easily explained that just because we didn't see him in the series doesn't mean Chekhov wasn't a member of the crew. Well, that was that was what I was going to ask you. When Chekhov is introduced, is he introduced as someone that's always been on the ship, or is that clear either way? Basically, it's it's he's treated as if he's been there. Okay, right. On. There's no like introducing Chekhov to the series because while like, we oh, only here's our new character Chekhov, so it's entirely likely Chekhov was a member of the Enterprise security team and was guarding Cell. While he was being held, you know, in the right. ring, which right. would make Khan remember him. Right. The other question is: They believe they're beaming down to SETI Alpha Six. We find out that SETI Alpha Six exploded, knocking SETI Alpha Five out of its orbit into the orbit of SETI Alpha Six. Did they not notice there was a planet missing? Exactly. When they came into the system. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, you'd think think a Chekhov would remember that. Well, again, if Chekhov was a lower member of the crew, he may may not even know. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if only the command crew of the Enterprise knew Khan was being exiled to SETI Alpha 5. Good point, because you're right. It does seem like no one else knows anything, so why why would it get all the way down to Chekhov anyway? So, while he would have yeah, known who Khan is and what the Botany Bay was, that would be fine. But, I mean, again, the galaxy is such an enormous place. Even if Starfleet had thousands of ships, they wouldn't be able to explore all of it. And because that's where they decided to, it's most likely the SETI Alpha 
solar system is so remote and so useless, it was barely cataloged by, right. you know, Starfleet. Well, and it might have been why, like, again, I never saw Space Seed, but is that why it was maybe chosen? Is that it was just essentially forgotten by everyone else anyway, so they could just live there peacefully and not ever be messed with or be able to mess with anyone else? Yes, and it would also explain that's why the Reliant is going to that section, looking for a place where they can experiment with a top secret yeah. project. Good um, point. It's like they're Alamogordo. Yeah, yeah it, it's so remote and nobody goes there, so let's go check if there's a planet there we can use, because who's going to notice? Got you right on. Makes sense. So that's... That's right. kind of what I like to do here on the podcast is point out plot holes and then fill those holes in. Uh, right on, man. I do the same. So I, it's also, you know, the biggest, one of the things this movie is more famous for than anything is it killed off Spock. Yep. And it was intended to kill, I mean, it's hard to wrap our minds around this now where TV shows and movies kill off characters all the time with the full intention of bringing them back, you know, a movie or two down the line. That was not the intention. Right. Spock was meant to die. Be right. gone. Right. Done from the franchise. Right. In Cease fact, to be. Yep. In the original script he was supposed to be killed off in the first act really yeah Nimoy was done playing Spock he was done being a Star Trek character he wanted out well I, I use the um, I mean is the analogy of uh, um, Harrison Ford with Han Solo I mean not necessarily the result but because Harrison Ford he wanted out as well right it's ultimately why they froze him instead well, of killing him yeah, because he hadn't initially signed for Return of the Jedi. But they wanted him back, and they didn't want to kill him off, so that's why they froze him. Well, no, for sure, but I guess what I'm saying is is it's it's essentially this, a similar reason, whereas the actor just didn't really didn't want to do it anymore and was looking for any way out of doing it. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if he only agreed to do it with the provision they killed off Spock. Exactly. So... As it turns out, Nimoy had such a good time filming the Rathacon. He, I wouldn't say last minute, but it was during filming of the, the, the movie that he decided, maybe we should put an out in here so I can come back in a future film. Yeah. Not necessarily the next film, which is, you know, how it ended up being, but just to leave it open for them to come back. So the whole deal of him doing a mind meld with McCoy, with the Remember, was kind of a last-minute addition as an out. And in the original, the original cut of the movie, there's no shot of Spock's coffin on the Genesis planet, and Nimoy doesn't do the ending voiceover of the famous... Face the final frontier speech. Now, now that was added in after test audiences really felt there was too dark of an ending. Now, when you say the original cut, are you saying the original cut 
before it was released to theaters? In other words, the cut that was released to theaters, the first cut released to theaters, did that have the uh, did that have the same ending? Yes, it was released to theaters, but not to test audiences. Okay, so it was released to theaters knowing that they were bringing him back. He had already agreed. Well, again, not More even a guarantee that they were bringing him back, but at least the possibility was there. No, what I'm saying is, did they show the shot of the coffin? Not to the test audiences, but, but anybody who went to the theater to see it in regular release saw okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. Another one of the things this movie is famous for is its computer effects, particularly with the Genesis um, project um, promo. Yeah, really well done. They hold up after 40 years. They absolutely do. No, they're fantastic. Now, originally, the group that did those computer effects were called the Graphics Group. And they were part of Industrial, uh, of industrial Light Magic. Oh, neat. They would later be either separate or be sold off and become a company you might recognize as Pixar. Oh, Really? Yes, I don't know if any of the original programmers were still with with them when they became Pixar, but that is technically a uh, Pixar sequence. Now, some of the things that were removed from the original cut of the movie are the fact that one of the engineering cadets, the one that Scotty, for some reason, brings to the bridge instead of the sticks bay. Now, of course, right? That's, yeah, yeah. That's for audience impact. You know, that's for filmatic impact. Well, it's to show you they're serious and stuff is happening. Right. Originally, like, and, and I believe it's in the director's cut, but that cadet was Scotty's nephew, which explains why he's so in shock about it. Right, because you get the impression that, well, I think they, they rattle off the numbers, but it's more than one person was killed for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And another thing that was removed is the relationship, possible relationship between Khan and his top lieutenant, Joaquin. Or Joachim. I don't know. He only says it once. Uh, played by. Judson Scott, who I'm giving the Whip Bissell Award to, especially because he was left out of the credits because he thought he was going to get a higher build slot in the opening credits. And when he found out he wasn't, he asked to be removed from the credits, but he didn't realize that they were going to take him out of the end credits as well. So he's not credited anywhere in the movie. And he gives a great performance because he's the guy who's having to try to bring Khan down. Yes. Like, you're not thinking these things through. You are so blinded by your lust for revenge. Like, we got a starship. We can get out of here. We're done. You've beaten Kirk. And, you know, Khan is like, I haven't beaten him till I killed him. He's my, he's my choice too because he's got an impossible job um both in the movie and um just you know up up against Ricardo Maltaban who's just killing it has gone through this whole thing yes 
This movie also introduced us to Kirstie Alley as Lieutenant Savick. A yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, recently departed. As a clearly Vulcan um, lieutenant, but also, again, it's not mentioned anywhere in the movie, but originally, and I think she still is technically, maybe non-canonically, she is a Vulcan Romulan mix, which would explain why she has a lot more emotion shown. In fact, she's shown crying during Spock's funeral, which is a very un-Vulcan thing to do. Speaking of Spock's funeral, as we pointed out, in the battle between the Enterprise and the captured Reliant, we mentioned that several characters are killed, yet Spock is the only one given a funeral. Now again, story and movie reasons, it's obvious why he's the only one giving the funeral. But as we know, Spock died of massive, massive radiation exposure. So it's also possible they needed to just get his body off the ship because it had soaked up so much radiation. I mean, the the whole scene, the famous scene of him dying, there's a glass partition between Kirk and Spock because so much radiation was released in that chamber, they can't open the doors to even let him out. So I wonder if, again pointing out plot holes and then trying to fill them in. He was ejected into space because of the high radiation, you know, his body absorbed, which would also explain why in the next film, Sarek, his father's like, no, you're supposed to bring a, a Vulcan's body back to Vulcan. You know, that's, that's our tradition. Why did you launch him off into space? That would kind of, you know, also give an indication of why he was the only one giving a a, a burial in space. No, I think that's a good reason. Um, I think that's a very good reason. And it makes an awful lot of sense because in the whole scene uh, with the chamber, you can see how everybody is affected by it um, and, you know, can barely move, can barely walk. So it tells you that uh, it's not going to go away easily. In fact, I wonder... You don't really see it, but um, I, I, I wonder how much quarantining uh, the rest of the crew might have had to do. Well, and again, it shows in this movie where we're shown that Scotty and the engineering crew are, are in what appear to be radiation suits. Exactly. Now, again, we, we mentioned how this, this is a very action-oriented movie, and there are some really intense battles between the two ships. And it's almost like a World War II submarine movie. Especially when at the end, in the, in the final sequences, where they're in the nebula and can no longer use their sensors. It reminds me a lot of an original series episode called Balance of Terror, which first introduced the Romulan characters. And it's a basically a submarine battle in space between the Enterprise and the Romulan ship. Again, 
this movie, despite being, you know, produced and directed by two guys who had never seen Star Trek prior, they did their research. They did delve into Star Trek, the TV show, to see what, to know what to use, to know what, they probably saw the, the episodes everybody else loved, and like, we love these too. This is what we need to bring to the movie. And as I mentioned before with the costuming, the costumes, the, the Starfleet uniforms used in the second movie through the sixth movie are my favorite Starfleet uniforms. Oh, easily. They're gorgeous. They're absolutely gorgeous. And they pop. Um, the Blu-ray we watched this on, um, the sets hold up. The costumes hold up. Everything really pops. And those 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 uniforms, the the the, I'm not sure what color that is, but it looks kind of crimson to me with the open flap, especially um, when um, Kirk acquires that like streak of blood across it. Like it's it's yeah, the the, the uniforms are amazing in this. Yeah, from from when the uh, when Scotty's nephew dies. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's just um, that's one of those striking images to me. Like I don't know. So again, when when we saw this for the first time. Yeah. Do you remember when this came out? Like, do you remember when in the year we saw it by any chance? No. And and it's hard to say because back in the eighties, you know, nowadays a movie is in theaters for two, three months. If it plays for longer than that, and some do, it's because it's a huge hit. You know, back in the eighties, a movie would easily play in theaters for a year. Even the more moderately successful right. ones. So this is probably out for a good period of time. But again, well, you didn't have the internet, you know, to really spoil things for you. Well, that and uh, yeah, there were, well, plus there were just generally fewer releases, it seemed. Um, and they were harder to get because they were so, you know, the cans are so expensive. I imagine it's still expensive now, but you can just kind of like beam a movie. Uh, the, the reason why I ask is I was just trying to figure out how old I was. I mean, this is 82, so I would have been, what, five or six call it and um well 86 or six or seven i guess so anyway this is a pretty intense movie to see when you're six man especially in the beginning when um and because we kind of went past that part where khan is um well i guess we know the movie so there's no point in talking in sequence right or it's a well-known enough movie rather there's no point in talking in sequence right so when they come down to the planet like one of the things i've never forgotten about this movie ever ever because it's again i saw it when i was six so this is my first experience with star trek as well was when khan he's got you know tyrell and he's got check off and he's pulling that bug thing out of the creepy like demon armadillo in the aquarium and he's putting that in their ear and then later on in the whole, you know, in the intense like showdown where Tyrell kills himself um, and then like the creepy thing crawls out of Chekhov's bloody ear. I was six when I saw this. <laughs> That's intense. This, there's some intense stuff with this movie that stuck with me. And then Spock, who again, I had no frame of reference, but even I could comprehend he was important to the plot, you know, important to the team. Um, that was pretty harrowing, too. Like, I didn't see that coming. You know, this was coming from from uh, Star Wars. We're like, sure, Ben dies, but like, you know, <laughs> like this this is a this was a very intense movie at a young age, and that's why I'm glad I had seen it. Like, I didn't have a ton of frame of reference for sci-fi um, or Star Trek, for that matter, and uh, so much of this movie uh, movie rather uh, pay, pays off um, for someone even as young as I was. I remember Dad being affected by 
the death of Spock. Not that he was in tears, but I remember him being a little bit like, sure, they killed Spock. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That's a big wow. And no, that is sure. a that is an incredibly powerful sequence as Spock is dying in that chamber. You know, a lot of people pick on Shatner's acting. He's it's magnificent in that sequence. Yeah, it's fine. He's 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 good in this. You can see him falling apart because one of the things about the original Star Trek, the three, you know, there there were plenty of characters, but even in the series, it was William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly. They were the three above the title actors, right? Because they were the away team. Like Scotty was up there, and so was um, you know Dakai, but they had to stay on the ship, so. You know, and you usually didn't see Scotty on the bridge anyway. So yeah, like they were the big ones. Well, and it's important to, to you know because Spock is pure logic. McCoy is nearly pure emotion. And in the middle, there's Captain Kirk, who tries to embody logic, but still is controlled by his emotions as a human being. So the three of those are the they're the perfect trio when it comes right down to it. And oh, absolutely! Yeah. For Kirk, not only does Kirk consider Spock his best friend, even Spock has said to, he says you know early in the film that I have been and always shall be your friend, which isn't something a, a Vulcan. I mean, we know he's half human, so he does kind of have, but he's tried to purge his emotions. For, sure. for him to say to Kirk, we're friends, I am your friend, that's a bond. No, exactly. That's, that's a, exactly. That's not a logical thing to say. So when Spock is dying there in front of him, and again, this is a whole, you know, there's a whole setup of how, you know, Kirk is feeling old. He's feeling his time is done. He's, looking almost like my, my career is over and my life might be over. So, and now he sees his best friend die in front of him. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's very emotional. Another thing I've heard people sometimes say, when Spock goes down, that he, when, when it's, Khan has set the Genesis device to destruct and the warp engines are down and they need to get out of there before it goes, or they're all going to be killed. Spock realizes, like, well, I got to get down to the engine room and see what's going on. He gets down there and he wants to go in and change whatever the thing is he needs to change to get the engines back online. And McCoy keeps him from going in, saying, You won't survive in there. I've heard people say, like, What is McCoy stupid? If he doesn't let Spock go in, they're all going to die. McCoy didn't know that was the, the the what was going on. McCoy had been down in the engine room trying to patch up the the engineers. He doesn't know that there's a countdown to death going on. Right, they had Spock no idea. Didn't it was have time to tell him. So I mean, that's why he and and Scotty, who Scotty goes from nearly unconscious to jumping up. Spock, get out of there! Right. Seconds. 
I, I'm sure McCoy might have given him something that just kicked in at that or, moment. But or it was adrenaline seeing a good, good, good friend of his, you know, someone he served an awfully long time with, about to kill himself. When as far again, as far as he knows, he doesn't necessarily need to. Like he doesn't know what's going on yet either. Right. He just knows he needs to get the warp engine back online. But he's like, well, we don't need to kill our best friend to do that. Now this movie is just. It really is not only just perfect science fiction, it's perfect. It, it's it's a perfect movie. It's great characters, great story, great entertainment. Because yeah. it's all these things that come in. This movie introduces like the Kobayashi Maru, you know, the final test. Which is that, a really fun scene. Yeah. That cadets have to go through for for their command. In fact, That's- that was that was thrown into because the death of Spock had leaked and a lot of fans were grumbling about it. So they kind of threw that in there to make it look like they killed off the entire bridge crew. Which, again, is an awesome scene. And if you're someone um, like if you're someone who gets tricked by that, like I certainly did when I was younger, because, again, I didn't know Star Trek, but I at least vaguely knew who the main cast was supposed to be like. You probably primed me or something or dad did. And then, yeah, like one of the first things I see is the entire crew who I only just was about to be rooting for just gets wiped out. I mean, yeah, first you're thrown by. Unless <laughs> I'm six. It would be like watching Star Wars, and at the beginning, it's just like Luke and Han and all of them die. And then it's like, yeah, but they're fine. Like, what? wait, what? Yeah. First you're thrown by, you know, uh, uh, Savick being the one sitting in the command chair. It's like, wait, what's going on? What? Who's this person in charge of the Enterprise? And then all of a sudden they're thrown into combat with the Klingons and everybody's being blown up around yeah. the bridge. Yeah, yeah. This was a lot there was a lot to unpack in this movie for, for a six year old, six or seven, whatever I was. And you know what? You gotta give credit to McCoy, who was the oldest crew member there, throwing himself to the ground to really you know, he really gave a good performance. This is a simulation. What is he doing? Who is he doing? The it, it's all for the benefit right. of Savick, apparently. Right, right. I mean, if I was there, if I was one of the people on that bridge, and like, okay, you die, I'd be like, boom, okay, I'm dead now. <laughs> I'm not throwing myself over no. the railing onto the floor exactly. and having sparks go off in my face. Exactly. At most, I'm gently going down to the floor and laying down. You know, you know I mean? tie one of those those one of those bandanas around your head that says dead. Exactly. 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 But you know, again, it's a it's an amazing sequence to kick off the movie. It truly is. Again, especially if you have very little context and uh and are thrown by it, which like I, I like I certainly was. Um it's uh, like so much of this movie, it really does hold up. Like I said, the scenes, the the um the, the sets and, and, and everything hold up so well. Um, even under the scrutiny of high definition, in my opinion. Um, this also, movie looks like it could have come out last week. W- do you know? Do you know who? 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 Um, I forgot to look. Do you know who did the musical score for this? Because it's all, that's also amazing. The orchestral uh, theme and everything for this is fantastic. I do know, and it's it's lost to me at the moment. But it is a very exciting score. And it's it is, not even, yeah. you know, they do use, you know, the famous music, but it's almost all, all different. Mm-hmm. 
it's way more yeah it's way more bombastic and, and orchestral and works works so well i mean obviously it's you know it's reminiscent of star wars and actually really reminiscent of many movies of the era whether it be star wars or superman or um, raiders it's it's fantastic if, if that if any of those themes kind of like grab you then then obviously you'll like this movie if you haven't seen it yeah and if you haven't seen it you probably haven't understood what we're talking about for sure yeah and we've certainly again, spoiled the hell out of, of it the most the most famous movies um, out there like look i mean I, if you if you're younger even if you're not like again there's a lot of media out there maybe you're from a different country or whatever like if you just know of star trek but haven't really checked anything out like if this is your first thing this, this is a, this is a hell of a way to start. Like maybe it should be because it's fantastic. You can't do much better than this. You know what's odd about this movie? Chekhov's gun isn't introduced in the first act. <laughs> we don't see Chekhov's gun until the second act. That's a good point. And he but doesn't he... fire it in the third act. No, no, but he throws out the whole Chekhov's gun thing. It really does. You make a good point. Now, back to how I mentioned, like a lot of the, the 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 motion picture, the merchandise did not do well. Sure. So sure. despite that, L- the, like I imagine, the merchandise for two thousand one, a space odyssey did. Well, but there really wasn't, you know. But that's what I'm saying. Imagine if there was. I can't imagine that merchandise doing great. Well, let me ask you this: What merchandise do you remember from Wrath of Khan? Uh, none because there virtually was none yeah. nobody wanted to you know because of the failure that nobody went in do you know of all six original crew movies wrath of khan was the only one that did not have a comic book adaptation really it wasn't until 2009 when idw which has still has the star trek license actually did an adaptation for Wrath of Khan. Wow. Because Marvel wasn't going to license. They, they, you know, the, the, their previous one wasn't a success. Why would anybody else say, well, we will license? It wasn't until Search for Spock was announced that DC Comics grabbed the Star Trek license. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and Marvel would adapt anything. So that's surprising. Well, again, they they obviously must have lost money on the previous deal to say, no, we're not going back into those waters. See, to me, like, I don't know. I'm kind of surprised the comic didn't sell well for, again, for for folks who are fans of the film, like true true fans of the franchise who could get through the the Delaware aspects of it. Do you suppose it was a situation where they over-anticipated how many would sell and, like, just printed too many copies and had to bury them in the desert somewhere? That's possible, but one of the other problems was they only licensed the movie. So Marvel Comics was only able to use concepts that were seen in the movie. So they couldn't use any of the stuff from the original series. Oh, right on. They couldn't go back and do that. So people weren't really interested in the movie enough to see, like, well, let's see more of that. Oh, oh, and actually, yeah. Go, going back to the actual movie again, six or seven years old. This might have been the most. This and Black Hole might have been the two most, and they're fairly intense movies I had seen, and probably the end of uh, Raiders. 
but uh, so yeah, so you know, this is after the earwigs um, and all that get like shoved into Chekhov's like ear, and um, uh, um, uh, Bones and 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 Kirk and uh, Savick go down to the um, over the, the the space station or whatever. Regular one. Regular one. Yeah. And they're walking by like the Michael Myers slash like aliens hive where there's like, you know, dead bodies like flopping out of stuff. And they find Tyrell and check off like, you know, bunched up in some like container. Now, again, if, you, if you're already a sci-fi fan or a Star Trek fan, especially an older fan, you're like, OK, you know, that's kind of neat. I was like six when I saw this movie. It's and kind of intense know, when you're that young. man. You got to know that that I got to keep bringing that up. <laughs> That a lot of that is in, that alien slug thing was somewhat inspired by alien. You gotta think, yeah. Which is which is again not to say like, oh, I shouldn't have seen it. And I'm scarred for life. No, nothing like that. It's just that's part of the reason why this movie has stuck with me. Like it's such a striking movie, it really is. Yeah. So well, and, and back to the whole DC Comics. The first seven issues of the series don't have Spock in it. Because they started the comic before Search for Spock hit theaters. Oh. And then, you know, they adapted the Search for Spock movie to comics. So then Spock was, you know, brought back in. But, yeah, I mean, there's Star Trek, you know, issues of Star Trek comics with no Spock. The first issue of the DC Comics, which is a beautiful cover by George Perez, has, you know, the cast on the cover, except for Spock, because he was dead. It's still it's still odd to me that you would do anything Star Trek and not have Spock on there, because Spock is like the, if there's one character you see on Star Trek merchandise to tell you, this is Star Trek merchandise. It's Spock. It's those ears and the haircut. Yeah. The um, d- did they shove in like um now? So at the time they were writing it with the assumption that Spock was truly dead and not coming back. Had they had they written in a new character to to replace him? They were using Savick as his replacement. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Which wouldn't surprise me if that's how Savick was written into the script originally anyways. Sure, that would have worked. In, in fact, Savick would have been a really compelling character to have in the in the rest of the original crew movies if it went that way. Yes, yeah. It's unfortunate. That would have been really interesting. That, w- at least within the movies, the character of Savick wasn't better explored. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially the dynamic of, right, half Romulan, half um, Klingon. I'm sorry, half, <laughs> half uh, Vulcan. So, um, obviously, we could talk about this a lot. Is there anything else you want to bring up? No, no, no. Just, just like again, how how um, how dynamic this movie truly is. How well it seems to hold up forever. Um, every time I see it, it's it's just great. It's got just the right amount of everything. Um, even again, even if you're not much of a Star Trek fan, like maybe maybe you just haven't watched the series, maybe you haven't cared, but you're sci you're a sci fi fan. Like if this is your first, if, even if it's your only thing Star Trek you watch, like this is this is a good choice. This, this is just a really good movie in general. Just oh. you know, sci fi. Just just watch it. Just it's good. Uh, we're introduced to Kirk's son in this, uh, David <clears throat> Marcus, who is played by Merritt Buttrick. Yep. And uh, the rest uh, in peace. The, um, 
BB Besh, uh, one of Kirk's many, many, many girlfriends. So he's probably got more children out there that we haven't met yet. Right. Of varying species, yes. But one of the, the interesting things is, you know, uh, Merritt had curly blonde hair. His mother has blonde hair. His dad had curly hair. So it actually kind of works. Kind of, yeah, it does. And he is an interesting character because obviously his mother has told him stories about uh, the famous Captain Kirk. And he is not impressed by those stories. But he does obviously become impressed by the man he sees once he meets. Because uh, Kirk didn't even know he existed. Well, sure. No, Kirk did know he had a son. Because um, he even says, I did what you asked. I stayed away. Kirk is a lot of things as a person, but at the end of the day, he's an effective leader no matter what. Oh, exactly. So he is impressive to watch, you know, especially to work with this crew, especially that crew. Kirk is, I would rather serve under Picard, mm-hmm. but Kirk is the man of action. Absolutely. Yeah. He's a much more entertaining character. Mm-hmm. Um, recommendations are kind of hard. Because there's not a lot out there like Star Trek, but I mean, and then again, other than, you know, you see Star Trek 2, you want to see Star Trek 3. Sure. And then obviously you want to see Star Trek 4. And those are all worth doing. And and that's, you know, 2, 3, and 4 are actually kind of a Star Trek trilogy in and of itself. Right. They do more or less interlink, especially 2 and 3. But I I don't know if you were going to bring it up. Obviously, Galaxy Quest is a great thing to watch. I was going to say Galaxy Quest, yes. Galaxy Quest is a, is a phenomenal movie, <laughs> a wonderful movie. Um, not nearly as dark in tone, but honestly, on in its own right, an effective sci-fi movie, uh, but obviously more comedic. Um, do you, do you want to get into it? Uh, well, I think we're going to give it its own episode at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, not, we don't want to get like super into it. I'm just saying, do you want to get into like the plot or you just want to just leave it with the recommendation? I'm just leaving it as with a recommendation. Okay. And we should at least bring up like the pseudo remake of, uh, which is, you know, Nemesis. Yeah. Uh, the, the Nemesis is the next generation version of Wrath of Khan. Like it shares a lot of similarities, we'll say. <laughs> just a but lot I, of similarities. I would say that the other similarity is the best next generation movie is the second movie, First Contact. First Contact is a fantastic movie. Um I yeah, I mean I mean I wouldn't say there's many comparisons except for the fact that again it's another action oriented, just really fantastic, seem to seem to resonate well with a, a, a wide audience movie and just an excellent sci fi movie in its own right. Definitely check out, check out First Contact. Uh, the other thing I want to recommend, and anybody who has Hulu can see all three seasons of The Orville. Yes. Which Orville's starts fun. Out, which starts out as a comedy parody series, but really turns into more Star Trek than most of the Star Trek stuff out there. It's it, it's one of those... It's Yeah, it's... it's um... It's ostensibly a, a series that probably averages more on the funny than anything else, but it does take itself seriously enough and uh, with really good sci-fi conventions, you know, uh, it's sci-fi is, is, is strong. Um, and the humor, it works, you know, because it, it's basically, it's used to take the edge off of certain situations. Like it's never, 
it's never like you know straight polarity it's not like airplane it's it's not it's not slapstick or anything like that it's just um you know just just it's it's mostly observational uh th really the the thing that abuses me the most perhaps about the about the humor of that show is how obsessed they are with like mid 1990s culture being like 500 years into the future it would be such a straight it would be like you and i being into like you know super heavily into medieval medieval like references and just like dropping references to like you know medieval dukes and kings on a daily basis <laughs> That's one of the things that always struck me about the show, but uh, it's it is a it is an excellent show. Um, another thing, which is again, I mean, it's sci-fi. It just it just occurred to me. Um, it it isn't it is sci-fi. It's not like um, it's it's not outer space though. But carrying on to the themes, carrying on to the themes like the um, with the Vulcans and the uh, Romulans is that movie Equilibrium with uh, Christian Bale, which is just an interesting story. Um, you could almost see how, uh, where it kind of tells the tale of how humans might have taken the idea of trying to like purge your emotions for the sake of like the greater good. Um, and that's, that's pretty much the heavy element of that movie where it's like, um, uh, society had, had advanced to taking medication that just purges their emotions, uh, entirely. Yes. And all of the, all of the like interpinnings of that. So, so that's just like a different, it's sort of like a side one. Again, it doesn't take place in space or anything like that, but it is, it's just an interesting play on the same sort of themes that the, uh, the Vulcans and Romulans are dealing with at one point, or I guess still struggle to deal with. Any other recommendations? No, that's, that's about it. That's about it. I just, for whatever reason, um, well, again, the the whole the, the whole idea of like struggling with the emotion as being like the the barrier to you know the advancement of society, um, uh, equilibrium, you know, always makes me think about the uh, Vulcans and Romulans. All right. Well, I guess that just leaves me to connect this movie to the Magnificent Seven. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't be too hard. No, and I'm gonna do it. You know the easy way, Leonard Nimoy. Oh wow! Okay. Leonard Nimoy was in the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, along with Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum was famously one of the punks who murdered yes. Charles Bronson's family in Death Wish, so that connects him to to uh, Charles Bronson from The Magnificent Seven. I won't mention any of his lines. Um, I assumed you were going to go with like a DeForest Kelly Western or something. Well, you know, I, I thought about Kirstie Alley and oh, yeah. Yeah. some of the other things that uh, Nimoy has directed. I almost thought that Leonard Nimoy has a small part in the movie Them. Yes. With James Whitmore. And James Whitmore was in Guns of the Magnificent Seven. Okay. So... Okay. But then I'd have to go through, you know, the, uh, you, know, you know, obviously sequel, but. Now, uh, did, did, did it ever occur to you to go with uh, DeForest Kelly? Because I just assumed you were going to pick a DeForest Kelly Western. That's why I, that's why I said it should be easy. I just assumed you were going to pull out some like DeForest Kelly Western. Well, the, the two Westerns that I think of with DeForest Kelly off the top of my head are Warlock. Okay. Which uh, has um, Henry Fonda and uh, Anthony Quinn and Richard Widmark. 
And he's also in Gunfight at the OK Corral as one of the Earp brothers. Oh, is he? But, yeah, he plays Morgan Earp. Oh, okay. Uh, alongside Burt Lancaster and uh, Kirk Douglas. But that that was just the quickest way I could do it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, folks, since it is now, if you're listening to this when it comes out, it's we're we're heading into Christmas next week. And then, you know, New Year's the week after. So this is going to wrap up season two for us. We will be back in the new year with season three. And uh, we thank you, as always, for listening and hope you return to listen again in the new year. Yes, thank you so much. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for the downloads. Thank you for the support. Um, have happy holidays. Have a great new year. Um, and we'll be back with some fun. Um, what number are we on now, Matt? Do you have? Do you remember? I believe this will be our ninety-first episode. Ninety-one. Okay, cool. And again, you know, with two years and ninety-plus episodes behind us, I, I do want to, you know, uh, thank the listeners because we we enjoy doing this and we you've reacted and and you're you're here you're listening and it's just you know it blows me away that you know just two idiot brothers who like talking about movies decided to record it and put it out there and hey you're listening and and i thank you for that because there's just so many podcasts out there and just movie podcasts to listen to you. Anybody that's just given us one try, I, I really want to thank you for that. A hundred percent. And the only thing I wanted to add to that, Matt, is I've always thought of myself more of a fool um, than, a, than an idiot. But I guess maybe, you know, that works. May, maybe three years from now, you'll see yourself more of as an idiot. Okay, fair enough. Um, oh, and also, you know what? Thank you, Anchor, for giving us the platform. Yes, yes. And right now, there are some people out there who might be cursing Anchor for giving us. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, But hey, you you know, you take the good, you take the bad. You know, other than one or two, two people out there, we're not forcing anybody to listen. Right. Exactly. Well, again, thank you, folks. And stay gold, people. Thank you, everyone. Bye.